Let's pray. Sit, you can sit. You can sit. I want to just pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the words in your word, the Bible. I thank you that it's incredible what it can do in our lives. We pray that it would be like, like incredible seed this morning. that would be planted in our hearts and would produce incredible fruit. And something good will come out of it. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed? Said? Amen. Amen. Thanks, team. Oh, they're gone. Great. <laughs> I wanted to uh, just turn your attention to a story that Jesus told this morning. Jesus told a story in, um, we told many stories, <laughs> but in Luke chapter 18 and uh, verses 9 to 14, I'm not going to have the whole verse up there. If you've got your phone, your Bible, please open it. But I want to just read it in the New International Version. It's a story that um, didn't quite turn out how maybe you would want stories to turn out if you were hearing the story. You know, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the story. You know how you have stories where the man with the white hat is the goody and the man with the black hat is the baddie. You know, that's the you know in ma- major stories, their major themes are there's always a a guy who's a goody and there's always a guy who's a baddie. Well, in this story, there's two guys and. And to the people of the day and the culture of the day, uh, it was very clear to them who was the goody and who was the baddie. But the story is reversed and it turns out quite different. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do when he told this story. So in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, we'll start. And it just says, to some who are confident uh, of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men, here, and then Jesus starts to tell the story. Two men. It could be two women, but it was two men. It could be two young people. It could be two children, but it's two men. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, please understand, in the culture of the day, in this story, the Pharisee was the, wore the white hat and the tax collector wore the black hat. We got that? So the tax collector was the baddie, he was the sinner, and the Pharisee was the good man. So let's go on. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. (laughs) I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. Um, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14. I tell you, this is what Jesus, he he kind of um, wraps up the whole story. I tell you that this man that is talking about the tax collector, rather than the other talking about the Pharisee, so talking about the tax collector, the one in the black hat, and the Pharisee, the one in the white hat, interesting enough, the one in the black hat went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Interesting story. This is um, two men. As I said, one's a tax collector. A tax collector. The reason that I put him in the black hat this morning is because he worked for the Romans. He was a Jewish man who worked for the Roman Empire. And his job was to collect taxes for the Romans. Unfortunately... Every, it seems to be every tax collector was hated by their own people because they always collected more than they needed to collect. 
And the difference of what they needed to collect and the extra they collected, they put into their own pocket. And so in some ways, they stole from their own nation. So you could appreciate, that's why I put him in. To them, he was the black hat guy to the culture of the day. Okay? So he wasn't, he wasn't the nice guy. He wasn't the guy that they uh, respected at all. Now, the other man was a Pharisee. In the eyes of the people, he wore the white hat. He was seen as very upright, morally pure, religiously zealous, uh, and seen as a pillar of the, not only the church, but a pillar of the society. So interesting, isn't it? Yet we see that the tax collector goes home justified before God, and the Pharisee wasn't justified. Interesting. So when Jesus tells this story, people are listening to this story, and as soon as they see the scenario outplayed, they would have been horrified. It was like if you were watching a movie right through to the end, and the guy or the lady who was the goody all of a sudden turned bad, and the guy who was bad or the woman who was bad all of a sudden turned good. It would have been a horrific ending for the people of the culture of the day. That's not supposed to happen that way. The tax collector is the one who's a sinner. The Pharisee's morally upright or supposed to be religiously zealous. And yet he gets, it seems to be twisted here. So the tax collector is justified, the Pharisee isn't. Um, it wasn't how it was supposed to play it out. Just so you understand, justified means right before God, Okay. Simple answer, simple definition, right before God. So the tax collector was seen as who was the sinner was seen as right before God, and the Pharisee who was seen as the, um, the religious zealot was zealous was seen as not right before God. Mm. Why was this so? Now the short answer for that would be in the last verse. Um, is because the tax collector was humble and the Pharisee wasn't humble. That's the short answer. But there's so much more to this than just meets the eye when you first read this story that Jesus shares. You know, this morning as we read this story, we can all sometimes place ourselves in one of those two positions. Uh, you know, we all want to wear the good, the white hat. If I was in a movie, I would choose, you know, the guy who always wins the great attitude, you know, loves the poor, cares. I want to wear the white hat, don't you? No one would put ourselves in a position of the black hat. But the interesting thing is, is like this story, just sometimes we find ourselves wearing the black hat simply because of maybe the attitude and the, uh, that we have in life. So we need to look at it, don't we? Um, Jesus tells this story. He points out something very interesting. Straight away, he says, the men go to pray. Oh, yeah, that's an important Christian discipline, isn't it? Prayer. How could you ever get to know God if you never talk to him about life? Have you ever conversed with him? So they go to pray. I mean, they even went to church to pray. That's a great thing. We, we do that on a Tuesday night even here. I'm thinking, I'm doing really well so far. I've got, two out of, I've got two out of two. I pray and I come to church to pray. They're engaging in a very important, both of them, in a Christian discipline. The Pharisee, in his prayer, actually thanks God. Ah, uh, that's also a good part of our relationship with God, thankfulness, being thankful for what God's done. And he gives thanks to God, and he says to God, he says, God, I'm not a thief, and I'm not an adulterer, and I'm not an evildoer. And I want to be honest with you, I'm glad, I'm thankful to God that I'm not like that generally either. Generally, in my heart, I don't want to 
you know, be an adulterer. I don't want to be evil towards people, and I certainly don't want to. What was the other one? I don't want to be a thief. I, in my heart, that's... And so I'm thankful to God that I wasn't brought up with those things in my life. It doesn't mean that maybe I haven't... We haven't sometimes slipped into those areas, but the reality is in our heart, generally. So the Pharisees doing pretty well. He's so far. So far. He's doing pretty well. You know, he's, you know, the Pharisees doing well. And this is a good prayer. It's a good prayer. He shares with God his Christian virtues. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, do you know what, God? I tithe every week of what I earn. And he says, I fast twice a week. They're great Christian virtues. He kind of reminds God about those things. And I'm thinking, they're good Christian disciplines. In actual fact, if, folks, if some of us, of all of us, actually involved in those kind of Christian virtues, I think God's kingdom would expand so much more. So much better if we were prayed, if we were givers, if we, if we um, you know, elements of fasting are great, uh, important Christian disciplines. So the question has to be asked, where did the Pharisee go wrong? And I know that you know, I know that you think you know, and I think you're right in what you're about to think. Is that cool? But where did he really go wrong? I want to say this, it's, 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 it's not even in that he compares himself to the tax collector. That is a problem. Comparisons can be healthy. You know, when I see some, some people and, and their zealousness and their passion for God, it stirs me to say, oh, God, that's so good. I, just help me, Lord, to, to be zealous as well. Help me to be passionate about it. Help me, you know. And someone says, look, I, you know, I pray. And I think, yeah, Lord, I just. So it can prompt me in a good way to be more of what God wants me to be. So comparison's not always wrong, okay? Not always wrong. And the, and the Pharisee does that. He compares himself um, in, in what he says. Um, it can spur us on to actually engage in more Christian disciplines. Um, so we could call this Pharisee a model Christian to be upheld as a shining example. All the things that this, the Pharisee is doing actually make him more of a disciple of what? Jesus. If you and I engage in those events all the time, and, and those Christian disciplines, the truth is it makes us more... Of a disciple of Jesus. It makes us more look like Jesus more, those type of things. So, where does it come unravel for the where does it unravel for the Pharisee? The truth is, it's when the Pharisee says this: I'm not like this tax collector. That simple statement has so much weight behind it, so much of principles of what he's actually saying. His heart is truly revealed. And for this Pharisee, his undoing is not because he compares, but because he looks down on the tax collector. See, Luke actually says Jesus told the story because of those who look down on others. Remember? Um, it's not up there, sorry. It's on my page. Because he looked at, he, Jesus told the story because he, he wanted to t talk to people who were looking down on other people. To look down is to have a high view of ourselves and a low view of others. Can I tell you what it really is in one little word? Pride. It's just pride. It, it, it's, it's that arrogance. It's that sometimes self-inflated importance. You know, um, I'm better than them. That must be one of the most 
Um, one of the things Jesus raged against more than anything else in society. Because he knew that when people start to say, I'm better than them, it puts people in different classes. It stops people from being um, um, witnesses to other people. It, it, it segregates us. It produces racism. It produces all types of stuff uh, in our society. See, when I'm better than you, you know, what, it's, what I'm saying is that oh, I'm always um, going to have all the answers and you don't. I'm always going to be more favored by God and you won't, which is utterly untrue. Utterly untrue. God's love extends to all humanity. He doesn't grade us on a scale of whether we've committed adultery or whether we haven't. He doesn't grade us on whether we've stolen or whether we haven't. Um, he, he simply looks at humanity and says, I died for them all. I love them all. What happens with our sin is, of course, the consequences of our sin are the terrible things that happen to us. And so some people don't do well because of what they're involved in. And they continue to live way below God's best for them. That's the problem. But to look down on someone is such, an, is such a, a destructive thing to the God's kingdom and even to this world. <laughs> such a terrible thing. Notice Luke says Jesus tells this story not only for those who look down, but also those who have uh, their confidence in their own righteousness. I am confident that I am forgiven. That's what I'm confident in. I'm not confident in my own righteousness. I'm confident that I'm forgiven. I'm confident that God loves me. I'm confident that he wants to be, uh, that he can be involved in my life. You see, it's not a self-righteousness. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a reality that I'm confident because of his righteousness, Jesus, his mercy, his grace, because he's perfect and that he covers me. And when I ask for forgiveness, he sets me free and gives me his righteousness, not my own righteousness. So I'm just thankful for that. But um, see, this man, obviously the Pharisee, had a self-righteousness. I'm better. Remember, I'm higher. He's lower. I'm better. He's a sinner. He's a, he, you know. But the reality was, is that as soon as the Pharisee said that, he took off the, the white hat and he put on the black one. And as soon as the tax collector knelt and said, Father, forgive me, he put on the white hat and took off the black. See, it's the heart attitude that we don't see, isn't it? And we don't have the opportunity to see each other's heart. God knows our heart. But we can't look, I can't look at a tax collector and say, oh, well, he's, you know, the Pharisee obviously assumed that he's just a, a terrible example of a man in society. Uh, but the truth is, because of his heart attitude, God accepted him and embraced him and said, that man is more justified than the Pharisee in his proud attitude. Interesting, isn't it? You see, what happens is because of that, it causes us to judge ourselves always better than others and others worse than ourselves. You know, I, I, can, I can do the same wrong as someone else, but I judge myself by good intentions. But when it comes to others, I can judge them by their actions. There's a difference, isn't there? It's amazing. I haven't been pulled up for speeding for about five years, but the last time I was... Um, 
it's amazing as I sat there with the officer, I didn't say this to him, but I felt like saying, officer, I didn't know I was doing 10 kilometers over the speed limit. It was a simple mistake. I'm going through my head. I didn't mean to do that. You know, have you ever thought? And you know what? That's the truth. For a lot of us, when we speed, we don't mean to purposely do that. But it's amazing how many times I drive past a person pulled up by a, by a policeman and say, well, they deserve that. <laughs> Probably Speeding, obviously. I'm higher, you're lower. Self-righteousness and pride make us do that. And that's where we've got to realize it doesn't benefit God's kingdom. It doesn't benefit your life to live in this realm. And, and you know, I wanted to say that I don't think we sometimes purposely go through life saying, well, I'm going to be proud today. I'm going to be self-righteous. And anybody who comes my way, I'm going to make sure they're smaller than I am because I'm going to be little. We don't do that on purpose. But what happens is that sneaks into our life, doesn't it? It sneaks in sometimes. And we've got to work at raging against it and saying, no, I'm going to go today. I'm going to see people as my equal. I'm going to just see what I can encourage people. It's, it's a different attitude. Now, we live in a world that's very visual. And so we look at the outside of a person and make, sometimes make assumptions. And you've got to just be careful because you can't read a book by its cover so we've got to realize and you couldn't if you the people who were listening to this story certainly got um, tricked because the Pharisee has got a cover on his life he's a sinner he's a rebel he, he rips his own nation off the Pharisee and the sorry the tax collector <laughs> let's get that right tax collector does that and, and there's a certain cover that goes with that but they were totally wrong because the heart of that book was different to the cover and that's what we've got to sometimes hold and understand our judgment back. So the Pharisee, instead of now becoming more like Jesus because of his prayer and fasting and giving, which he'd be making more like Jesus, he's actually becoming less like Jesus because of his attitude of arrogance and self-importance and pride. Mm. One of the things that I find is that the reason that sometimes I've discovered why I can be this attitude of I'm higher, you're lower, and I, and I don't, once again, do it purposely, but have that attitude is because I've discovered that I've sometimes got myself on the center of my life. I've got myself there. And it was only ever reserved for God himself to sit in the center of my life. And in prayer and sometimes worship, and even this morning, even just to worship, I have the opportunity to recenter God back oh, where he rightfully should be as the center of my life. We sing that song, Jesus, just the, what? The center of my life. Yeah, what is, anyway, I think we know. But, you know, I sing the words and, and then I, I suddenly realize, man, this week I've just, there's some real selfish elements to my life. And I often discover my anger is connected because I just don't get my own way. I saw that in my little children, and I sought to smack that out of them. And, you know, we, I think we're successful. But selfishness, um, please understand, I didn't beat them. I didn't, you know, don't write, send me an email. Pastor smacks children, praise God. 
tell you what, if I didn't, they wouldn't be here. <laughs> anyway, that's another message. But I think, you know, God doesn't, thank God he doesn't smack us around the head and, and say, get that. But, you know, the reality is, I think, uh, the truth is, is that our sin continues to say, well, the consequences of it smacks us and say, wake up, recenter your life. You're living a selfish life. You're living for self. See, I, I look at the language of the Pharisee, and, uh, and you've got to see, he says, I fast. In the light of his heart attitude, now you can go back and look at this passage and see what, what was really happening wasn't right. Because it says, I fast. He says, I give. I'm not, I am not like the tax collector. There's a lot of I words in there, isn't there? I, me. And then we see that um, the Pharisee was like that, but the tax collector's language was different. The only reason he used the word me was to ask God for forgiveness and mercy because of his sinfulness. And we see there's a difference. You could say that the Pharisee had an I-centered outlook while the tax collector had a God-centered outlook. The tax collector was seeking to recenter God in his life. The Pharisee couldn't care. He had him firmly planted on his own throne of his life. He was very much about himself. Um, and uh, okay, so I see this I, chat, I attitude that makes always makes us the center of our own world. I in me, what I need to do, what needs to happen around me, what people need to. We bow to the very wants of life, but we never bow to what we really need. We worship our outer person like our attributes and our giftings instead of valuing the inner attributes of kindness and self-control and unselfishness. We, we, we don't value those things when we're encompassed and we're engrossed in ourselves. Um, I love this example. And 1543 is a year that none of us are around, obviously. But it's a year that we all need to be thankful for because in 15, up to 1543, um, the world, or the people who existed on the world, had this, in, this thought about the world. Number one, the world was flat. Number two, uh, that the world um, was the center of the universe. Fathers used to put their arms around their sons and point to the heavens and say, we're the center of all of this, and it rotates around the earth. Praise God, there was a man who challenged that view called Nicholas Copius. He was, a, um, he was an astronomer and a mathematician. And he said he was a thoughtful man and he was a persistent man. And he came up, here's a, here is a, uh, uh, he was Polish and here is a statue of him. Um, and he said, just wait a second, he asked questions. He, was, he, he had to ask questions. He said, why are there seasons like winter and summer and why... What would happen if a ship sailed as far as it could? Would it really fall off the edge of the earth or would it just go around the earth? And he said to them and in 1543, he says, this is what I believe. He says, the earth is actually round. And he pointed to the heavens and said, and looking at the sun, he says that the sun is the center of the universe and we revolve around the sun. They didn't believe him for 50 years. 50 years later, in, 19, in 1593, they finally made it a scientific fact. The world is round, <laughs> and uh, everything revolves around the sun. took a while, but it came to pass. I love this thought. He dared to point his finger towards the sun and announce, behold, the center of the solar system. But what Nicholas, that professor, did for the earth, God does for your soul. 
What he does is he puts his hand on your shoulder and he points to the son, his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, behold, the center of it all. The world continues to point to themselves, and maybe not verbalizing it this way, but behold, the center of it all. Christ obviously came to change that paradigm shift. We need a paradigm shift sometimes in our hearts and minds. We, we, we could never be the center of, the, of our lives. We've got to recenter our lives because um, um, you've got to understand the more you place you at the center of your life, the less life you have to live. Because you, you were never created by yourself. God created you. And he says, when you place God at the center, I have the plan, I have the purpose, I have the, the, the ability to help you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you live life. Because I know how you function best. I know that you function best with one man and one woman. I know that you function best understanding that I created you and you didn't jump out of a tree one day and evolve. I know that you know, all these principles and truths that are set in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God says, I've, I've, I've established you. I, I have the best life for you. I have the best hope for you. I have the best future. And he says, if you place me at the center, why do we do that? Is God, God egotistical? You've got to put me for... No, God doesn't... He's not egotistical. He just wants you to know where your strength lies. He just wants you to know that him at the center of your life makes all the difference in how life actually progresses and how we move forward. Jesus actually said about himself, God's son, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did you ever notice that it's not, I am at way? I am not at truth or at life? No, he is the way. There's, only, there's not many ways. There's one way. I am that way. Not a way. Not just one of many. Uh, see, in actual fact, the word life means absolute fullness of life. One source, that's Christ. So when God looks at the center of the universe, I want you to understand something this morning. I know you may be disappointed with this, but he doesn't look at you. And I know you're not, because if the world depended upon me, we wouldn't probably have a world. <laughs> but I'm glad God is still ultimately in control. Let me say this. Though it does not depend upon you, are you appreciated? Are you loved? Are you cared for? Absolutely. God does. He absolutely loves you. He absolutely appreciates you. But Jesus Christ is the center, not you and me. The great antidote for self-centeredness has got to be Christ-centeredness. The great antidote. It's the medicine for the sick soul of so many people in our society today that live for themselves. That's why the Pharisee, even though he had all the attributes of a righteous man, um, and he was becoming more like Jesus, but his pride made him less like Jesus. Uh, and it'll do the same for us. You know, that's maybe why God said um, and got James to write in James 4, 6. It says, God, res um, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Maybe that's why God got James to write that. Because he's saying, I can't do anything with a person who is caught up with themselves. 
But with a humble heart, no matter how wicked, how disgusting, or how wrong they have been, I can work with them when they're humble and they come to me because I can give them my grace, forgiveness, and support, and love, and help them. Isn't that amazing? See, the world says the, more, the better you look, the further you'll go. The, looking at the outward appearance, God says it's the inward that really matters. It's the inward person that really matters. And I'm not saying we shouldn't look our best, we shouldn't do our best, but let's just make sure that the foundation in here is incredibly strong before you go trying to put the stuff on the outside. You've got to make sure something's happening in here good. See, there's one thing that I've discovered that Jesus cannot do for us today. And it's, it's in the, the opening verses. Um, if we're to be a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, the one thing that Jesus asks us to do for ourselves... It says it in the verse, we have to make a choice today and tomorrow in the rest of our lives. Will I exalt myself or will I humble myself? You notice it's not God humbling us, it's us we have to humble ourselves. Jesus can give us salvation, he can give us healing. Jesus can heal a broken heart through the Holy Spirit's presence and his touch upon our lives. He can even make us, which is a wonderful word, make us people who win others to Christ. He can help us with all that. He will love us and value us, but he cannot humble us. That's your job. You've got to make a decision. Because God doesn't make us robots, he asks for you to stand up and say, Hey, God, I just need to humble myself before you. I love it. The moon. Bit of a science lesson. It's apparently it's a new moon at the moment. Has anybody noticed? I didn't notice. Someone told me this morning that there's new moons at the moment. The moon generates no light on itself. We all realize that, of course. Do you know the moon is just a black mass of dust and rock? It's pretty boring. It's kind of like gray. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, there's nothing kind of colorful about it. But you know, on a full moon, on a particular night, when you look at that moon, it shines, it radiates. It's incredible. And it's only because the sun, it reflects the sun. And you sit in society today, and you know what? You look so much better when you reflect the sun and the glory of God. You look so much better when you have a Christ-centered life. When you take yourself off the throne of life and say, Father, uh, I put you in that place, that rightful place in my life. I, uh, I'll be honest, probably there's not a week that goes by where I don't try and sneak onto the throne on myself. Just like the feeling of it, me, 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 me. I don't think that way, but you know, I get tired. Expect it. You know, I get, you get grumpy sometimes in life. But they're the times that God says, I could be your real strength if you just keep me on the center. But I kind of edge Jesus off, move over, let me sit there for a while. And you know what? He's not going to fight you for it. He said, no problem. Just tell me when you want me back. And then something happens and we pride comes before a fall and say, Jesus, come back and sit on the throne of my life. I've tried to do it myself. I've tried to love people in my own strength. I just need your love. I've tried to, you know, be the self-made woman or self-made man. God, I want to be 
God made now. I want to be confident because you're in my life, not because of I'm, me in my life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. New Living Translation. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Do you see Christ in me at all? I like that one. Life makes sense when we accept our place. The God-centered life works. It rescues us from a life that doesn't. Family, you are made not to serve yourself. In actual fact, you consume yourself and others when you do that. Self-promotion, self-preservation, self-centeredness, it's all about me, isn't it? <clears throat> it's not about us. It's about him. Um, in John 15, 5, Jesus actually said this. He says, you know what? Without me, you cannot do anything. I've read that verse and sometimes skipped over it, but I think I'm coming to understand. Without him, I can't do anything. You might say, well, I, I live life, I breathe, I have my own way in life, I'm, I'm cool. You know why? It's because God allows you to because of his incredible grace, even though you don't acknowledge him. But ultimately, without him, we could do nothing. That's the truth of the matter. We live and breathe and have our being because of God's hand of love and care for us and grace. We can have some challenges in life. We, we live in a body that's dying. We live in a self-centered society. We live in a world that seems to take pleasure in destroying itself. But I've got some good news. When we have God firmly in the center of our lives and we revolve around him and not try and make God revolve around us, we face life with all its struggles and all its temptations so much better, so much better to do life that way. Can we stand this morning? That would be great as we... I hope you can see the joy and the reality of God's incredible mercy and grace that he extends to us. And, and even as Christians, we've we, we just got to continue to be reminded of that that I don't need to live in the realm of, hey, I'm up here, you're down there. But together, we move forward, we stand together. So, you know, this morning, I, I just want you to contemplate it just for a moment. Just consider, let the challenge be out there. Let it not be my challenge, but let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Speak to your heart today. And say, hey, I just need to put something, I need to recenter my life on that which is Christ. Um, I need to just come back to that reality. I need to get rid of the stinking thinking, the pride, the arrogance sometimes. And, you know, I, and I don't stand here trying to think of people who do that. I'm just saying I know what I'm like sometimes. I, I kind of guess that you're probably the same <laughs> and that I've continually got to take reassessment, revalue and say, where's my heart? Where's my heart? Today, is it like the Pharisee who stood in judgment, wrong judgment, I'm higher, you're lower, or is it like the tax collector who said, Father, just forgive me and receive me. I've blown it. I've ripped people off, but I just want to be right with you. So could we close our eyes just for a moment today? Is there anybody here today that just would maybe for the very first time just say yes to this not just my message, but yes to Christ. Yes to Christ. And, and the way that you could say yes to Christ, maybe it's for the first time or maybe it's again saying, I need to recenter, revalue. Just lift your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down. Anybody this morning just want to say, yep, yeah, 
Thank you. Thank you. One person this morning. Anybody else this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? There's just revelation people having right now. Just this. I just need to make sure Jesus. Thank you. I tell you, hand may you put it down. You can put it down. I see them. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just wait for a moment longer. I just want, because I just want us to be real with God. I just want us to know God's incredible love and mercy and grace. We're good. So church, how about we pray a prayer? That's a good thing to do. It's, it's just talking to God. And those who place, raise their hand, this is a prayer for you. This is something I'd love you to repeat after me. It's really simple. It just makes it um, um, uh, a prayer between you and God. Uh, make it your own. I wish we had some other better way, but this is the way we're going to do it. It's just... So I, I just want you to... Actually, all of us to repeat it after me so we join together with these people who have responded this morning. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning realizing that I'm certainly blowing it. But I thank you that you extend your hand through Jesus Christ to me. I receive his mercy and I ask for forgiveness. I thank you. And with my mouth, I confess that Jesus is my Lord. And in my heart, I now believe that. Help me, Lord, to live for you from this moment on. I ask for your Holy Spirit to strengthen me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray. Father, I thank you today for precious lives, uh, just a responding. That's one of the most exciting things. All heaven rejoices because a life turns their heart towards you, like that tax collector. What a special moment for these people today. I pray that you would, Father, just take them from here and strengthen them in their walk with you or their new walk with you, God. Holy Spirit, that you'll reveal them yourself to them more and more. As they read the Bible, as they talk to you, God, as they fellowship, I pray a hand would be upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe the rest of us today, we could, let me just pray for us as a church, hey? My prayer isn't any better than yours, but, you know, at the moment, I just happen to be standing at the front, so let's just pray. Father, I thank you for every person today. May we be a people that would be ever so aware that, Father God, you want us to live, um, Lord, not with the attitude of I'm more and you're less. Father, just catch us when we do that. Tap us on the shoulder, Holy Spirit, and say, give it up. Father, we need that. Because if we're ever going to be a witness to other people, we were ever going to love. They said, you actually said that they'll know we're Christians, Lord, by our love for one another. So we, we just pray that we would be a, a church, a people that would shine incredible love uh, to this society, this community, in our attitude. For some of us here this morning, I kind of guess that some of the hardest people to love is their own family members. Help us, Lord, to overcome that. We need your strength because it's difficult. Because some people have done some pretty nasty stuff to us. Father, help us to forgive. Help us to respond right. And not stand above them, but to stand with them. Father, we ask this this morning as your church, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's sing one more song this morning. Oh, God, the highest gift.
would work.